Welcome to another episode of Oh My, Looks Like It's In, and it's your boy, Jean Francois, and it has been a crazy week, and I don't even know where to start, but more importantly, it's the transfer day deadline special. So, unfortunately, I'm recording this a little bit later than usual. You won't know the difference because the release time, the release day, it will be the same. But all the action will be as close to the minute of the deadline closing today when it's hitting your ears. So let's get to the news. Let's get to the news so we can get to the last 24 hours worth of transfers because those are the biggest ones with the name that you've been waiting for, the panic buys, the panic loans, the moves that will make either the difference or ultimately lead you to disappointment when the real part of the season starts, which is about two, three, four weeks from now, somewhere around game week eight, nine, or ten. So... Back to the news. I'm sorry. I'm just too excited about the transfer deadline. You can't change your team up no more. No more. No more. Until January. And you don't got no money. No money. No money. In January. All right. I'm done. I'm sorry. <sighs> Back to the news. Had to keep it light before I get to some of the biggest news, which is Mo Salah. Is he off to Saudi Arabia? Al Etihad keeps sending big money deals. It started with over 100 million euros going up to 150 million euros. Both bids rejected by Liverpool were now somewhere in the range of 200 million euros. Will Liverpool let them go? I'm sorry. Them. They already let. Henderson go, Ferbino go. Will they let go the last of the triad, the triad, the trinity, the three that bought them Premier League and Champions League glory? $200 million for Mo Salah, 31 years old. I won't be like Klopp. You won't catch me saying he's here now. It's a bad thing that Saudi Arabia is transferred Window is open for so long. He's our player. He's practiced. We don't need the money. Yada, yada, yada. All that BS. In the words so applicable to this situation. <laughs> Let my people go. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Moving forward to it, actually a very sensitive subject, so we're going to sober it up for a second. Luis Rubiales. I don't know what you think you're doing. I don't know what the Spanish FA is doing. I don't know what the Spanish national female coach thought he was doing. But this is the most despicable and inappropriate behavior by professionals in charge of an FA when... All FAs are filthy and corrupt and don't support their female teams and embezzle money from their men's teams and don't support their youth initiatives. They're all trash. But this, this 
is undefendable. This really, when we should be celebrating the greatness of somebody else touching the mountaintop besides the U.S. national team, we're sitting here talking about your actions, focusing on men once again, when women should be the center of this focus. And it's just, it's disgusting, despicable behavior. It gets me choked up. I get lost with words. I'm not quite sure to explain how much I want to condemn how grabbing your genitalia as a celebration for a goal is inappropriate. How kissing this woman in the mouth is inappropriate. How saying you can't wait to take the team to Ibiza to celebrate and marry this woman who you just inappropriately kissed in the mouth. How all of that is just condemnable, unacceptable behavior, which you cannot blame on machismo, which has led to an unnecessary amount of deaths for Spanish women in the last five years. So adding on to this negative behavior that helps isolate masculinity from its purest form is just it, it's it's just it's despicable behavior don't blame this on masculinity don't blame this on traditions or values we know what this is the fa does not want to kowtow to the women in public but this is too public of an issue and now they're going to make it about rubiales resigning in order to not focus on how their behavior completely dismissed the needs and the safety of the Spanish women's national team. And I'm going to I'm going to dismount from there. Darwin Darwin Nunes stepping up for the Big Reds. We're going to get we're going to get back to that later on. La mine la mal. We're going to get back to that later on. We're going to get back to that. All right, I'm sorry. The transfer deadline has got me all juiced up. Saka, young player of the year. PFA. He deserves it. Now, the PFA player of the year, Erlen Holland, he deserves it. They both deserve the the recognition. Now, some people will say that Holland deserves both of the awards because he's under 23. But quite frankly... When you are the best male player in your country, you deserve the top award, which means there should be room to recognize those who are the best young player and not the best male player in the sport. You have to allow them both to to get this recognition, this recognition. They played outstanding for their teams. They showed up in big moments. Well, not the biggest moments like getting Arsenal over the line or getting Manchester City the Champions League. But see, that's not quite important here. This is the PFA Young Player and Player of the Year. They stepped up in the league and helped their teams finish first and second respectively. And they're very young and they very, very much so deserve this recognition in this moment. Harlan also won the UEFA Player of the Year. Not quite the ball and door, but a great, great moment for him to also be recognized once again for his outstanding play in the Champions League, as well as what he did in his domestic league. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, once again, Coach of the Year, Pep Guardiola, and the women's national team for England was the female Coach of the Year, who unfortunately I cannot remember her last name correctly i'm so i'm going to call her sabina which i hope is not incorrect 
big shout out to her. Big shout out to Pep for winning these awards. Um, the Champions League draw was crazy. That group of death with PSG, Dortmund, and AC Milan in it. Oh man, I think Newcastle's the bottom of that group. I hope I'm not getting that group wrong. And then we got Bayern versus Man United. And then we got Napoli versus Real Madrid. And Napoli has the strikers in Real Madrid. Oh, man. I can't wait to start talking about the Champions League. That is about a month and a half away before we really start getting into Champion League talk. That may even be its own separate podcast so that we can get in-depth about Champion League nights. But we're moving forward from there. Oh, man. We're getting into some spicy transfer talk. So I'm going to start with the low-end goodies. The low-end goodies that you didn't think you needed. Good old low-end goodies. We're talking Man United gets a backup goalkeeper. A Tao Banadir. Um... I don't know much about him. I don't really know if he's going to play very much. It's a second goalkeeper for Man United. I don't know if that's going to help them in their current situation. But he came in inside the transfer deadline day. So I had to talk about him because he's part of the special. All right, so we're ramping up from there. We have Southampton getting Taylor Harwood Bellis on a season-long loan from Man City. He's a good up-and-coming prospect. I don't think he's ever going to make it to the heights of starting for Man City. He will get loaned out repeatedly until he is sold. Genie Wijnaldum is joining Al Tafad, and that means he's joining up with Jordan Henderson and Steven Gerrard in Saudi Arabia. That might be a good team with a very strong midfield. We'll see what they're going to do. Nottingham Forest. Do they have a backup goalkeeper or a new starting goalkeeper in Valcha Demanos? Uh, he was the current goalkeeper from Benfica. He's a good Greek player, if I'm correct. Um, solid in between the sticks. I don't know what he's going to do to help Nottingham Forest's problem because Nottingham Forest. They are shaky in the midfield, and their center backs aren't quite up to snuff. So I don't know if another goalkeeper is going to fix that problem. James McAtee leaves Man City and joins Sheffield United. I am worried about Sheffield United if they are relying on James McAtee off the bench to supply them with a much-needed spark in second halves. Now, a player that they should have went after, Cole Palmer, is going to Chelsea. The youth project continues. Two goals, two games, and Man City let him go. They let him go for $40 million plus add-ons. He wants to be a starter. Is he going there to dominate that right-hand side? Is he going there to challenge Raheem Sterling? Is he going there to get in that Carney Chunameka position now that Chunameka is out? I I don't know, but it's a very exciting deal. i like to see what's next. Oh, man. Amorbat to United. That deal, hopefully, is getting signed at this moment. They've been working on that for a long, long, long time. 
Brendan Johnson to Tottenham Hotspur. Big money deal. Very excited. I don't know who he's going to replace. I don't know if he's replacing Song in the future or if Pasta Koglu is not a fan of Kulisevsky, but that is a big time move for a very creative player who has nothing but pace and an absolute want to get his team over the line. He's a dog, and that dog is more useful than any of his technical skills, his pace, or his shot that he has been working on for a long, long time. Is he their next Gareth Bale? I'm too excited about that move. After falling through several times in this transfer window, Nuno Tavares finally makes it to Nottingham Forest on a loan deal with a $12 million option to buy. Incredible. In a big move, when we thought he was done with big-time football, Leonardo Bonucci ends up at Union Berlin. Looking like it might just be a one-year deal. But Bonucci is back in Champions League, and that is amazing. Oh, man, looks like Ali's youth project is over as another one of Ali's youth studs that he bought in is now out of the club. Mark Geraldo is leaving Man United on a permanent deal to Espanyol. It's getting crazy, getting crazy. Confirmed a mega deal after two, reje two rejections. Mateus Nunes is confirmed to Manchester City on a four-year deal. I don't like the move. I'm not quite sure how it's going to work, but they do need bodies and they do need to get younger. No Gundogan, no Kevin De Bruyne, big problems. And it looks like he's filling the gap. Alex Iwobi to Fulham. I believe he's injured. I'm not even sure how this deal is going through, but this is a big move for Fulham. I'm not quite sure what kind of move this is for Iwobi. I think this is a lateral move and not necessarily great for his career. In one of the biggest moves of the transfer deadline, we've got Gravenberch on a $40 million deal to Liverpool. Another steal for the Fighting Reds. Now, is he quite the DM that they need? No. Is he a progressor of the highest caliber? Somebody's going to keep that ball moving and keep them ticking? Oh, yes, he is. They might be devastating in Europa League this year. If they can just work on his defensive attributes just a little bit, there is no stopping them. Absolutely no stopping them. Oh, what else do we have here that I think is really important? We got Kolumani finally confirmed to PSG on a $90 million package. I'm sorry, I got that incorrect. 90 million euro package. Uh, I track Frankfurt have been fighting for a long time to hold off on this deal, and I'm I'm glad it's actually gone through. I'm afraid of this PSG front line if they've got Dembele on the right, Mbappe on the left, and Kolumani in the middle. Wow, wee woo. We're talking about the French connection right there. That is the French connection if I've ever seen one. 
they might devastate some people. We're talking about big slaps to the face, big goals. Hurling Lozano has finally made it back to PSV after what I would call a failed spell in Napoli where he just needs playtime. Singari makes it to Nottingham Forest, and I mean Nottingham Forest is getting them in and out this transfer window. They are desperately attempting to stay up. Albert Sambi Lakanga is going to Luton, and I think it's just time that they cut ties with this kid. Arsenal's not doing them right. They're sending him to clubs that may start him, but this is not experience in which he will be able to catch up with the speed and the pa- the passing prowess that Arsenal possesses. They're just they're just sitting in the clubs where he gets to play, and that's just that's not gonna help him. That that's not gonna help him anywhere. Column Hudson Adoy finally moves and he's moving to Nottingham Forest. Like I said, they're getting these guys in and out. In and out. It looks like they also might be bringing Divock Origi. A real big deal that I was excited for that seems to be off is Jao Polino to the Bundesliga Giants, Bayern Munich. The German transfer window is closed. We got Luka Jovic leaving. Florentina to go to AC Milan in the loan deal still of the transfer window. Absolutely. Florentina, they have moved on as they have let go of Amrabat and seem to be uninterested in Jokovic. This is a complete and utter 360. I don't know what direction they're going in, but to strengthen AC Milan like this is... It's unforgivable. Sergio Regulon is going to United on a loan deal to cover Luke Shaw while injured. I don't know what they're going to do with him. I don't quite think he's the piece. I'm not excited about anything that's happening there. But, you know, you get the piece you need to replace Luke Shaw for a little while. Maybe some competition when he comes back. I guess that's good for the team. Sinistera finally gets his move away from Leeds United, back to a Premier League team, and that is a Bournemouth. Bournemouth are really lowing up. I'm, I'm respecting Bournemouth's moves this um this transfer season. Hopefully that allows them to stay up. We've got my two favorite moves. I don't know how Barcelona does it. Where's the money coming from? How are they registering these, play- these players with La Liga when La Liga said they have been over budget i don't know how they're getting this past ffp with them in europe but they have not only jao Cancelo, but jao felix on one year loans it's time to put up a shout out for felix is in a system in which they reward passing and quick movements where he's not necessarily has to be the goal scorer where they will put him right in front of the goal a league that's slower than the Premier League, he has no choice but to get to Barcelona and absolutely dominate either off the bench or as a starter. And those folks were the moves that I was excited about. There were plenty of other moves in 
with youth players, different leagues, left backs, players to Ajax, uh, Davy Clawson to enter, uh, um, players being loaned back, um, deals off, um, Alvaro Ozrizola to Real Sociedad from Real Madrid. You know, it's, it's plenty of players. Just nothing as big as the moves that I told you about. And that's what I was excited about. For On this deadline date, we got Amrabat to United, Regulon to United, Cole Palmer to Chelsea, uh, Graven Birch to Liverpool, uh, so much more. We got Felix and Cancelo to Barcelona. It just doesn't stop. And it's not done yet. We got deals on deals off. Uh, we got players going back to the clubs. They started from people buying youth players, quick loans. It's just, it's my favorite time of the year. Nottingham Forest, two years in a row, basically get a new team, swap the old team out, swap, uh, swap in loans, kick out players, start them, moving and shaking. PSG finally getting it started. Players coming out of retirement. Juan Mata playing in Japan. It's just the transfer deadline. You can't get enough one moment Mason Greenwood's back in football, the next minute he's not. You know, it's 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 it's, it's the transfer deadline day. You can't get enough of it. And uh it's time for me to take a break, catch my breath, and uh start the show. Let's go. Alright, you already know what time it is. We're talking game week three, and we're talking La Liga. So we had to start from the top, and that's Lost Plumbers. Versus Real Sociedad. And this one <laughs> felt like it was going to be a barn burner until it wasn't. Pretty much equal possession on both sides. More shots to the up and coming Las Plumas, who seem to put together a good team. Uh, corners going to Sociedad. And the real problem here is the standouts are your goalkeepers. Valles and Alex Romero really seem to put up. The fight that matters. They stopped the shots when they came. They stood big in the box. And they really helped their back lines out when they seemed to need a little bit of help. Also, your other two standouts would be Kubo, a former Real Madrid prospect, and Araujo, a former Barcelona prospect. So, we're looking at big players from big teams stepping up in a big way and goalkeepers standing strongly. Have to, outside of that... Ah, it's a little disappointing for how much action that there was absolutely no goals. All right, so now we're going to go on to the next match in the La Liga Week 3, and it is the Jude Bellingham Special. How does he keep pulling it out of his bloop? I don't know. But he really might be the greatest thing since Zinedine Zidane. When the team needed him, when Vinny went out early... When Hosolu is what is he? What is Hosolu? I don't I don't want to talk about it. it Hosolu is nothing. You know he, he might as well not be there. He's just a piece of human in a place where a striker should be. Okay, I'm moving forward. Jude has done it again. In a game where, without Vinny, it seemed like Real Madrid were being outclassed. Where it seemed like they had all of the ball but none of the spark. All the accuracy, but none of that finishing touch. All the corners, but none of the header. They were getting touched up. So the video had 19 fouls and only two yellow cards. They were getting absolutely touched up in this game. 
But what it matters, Jude shows up and he's done it again. He has done it again. He's done it again. They're perfect. He has done it again. <laughs> Close range header this time. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's left foot, right foot, if he's got to hit the goal. I mean, he's like five seconds from doing a hand to God. Like, oh man, he, I bet it against him early in the season. And he's every week he's making me eat my words. I've never been so hurt, disappointed, discombobulated. I mean, he's he's that guy, you know. Sometimes people step up and say, I am him. And he's doing it for Real Madrid right now. One of the most exciting Englishmen of all time. Wow. So then we're going to go to Caldas versus Amoria and two teams with some amazing upside. Caldas let it slip away again by number one, not being able to slap that target. They had 11 shots, only three of them on target. The pass accuracy is slipping, but once again, they had all the corners, but they let it go. They let another one go when they could have held on tight with a goal being let through at the 90 plus five to a team that was already down to 10 men. And then worse for where they also lose a man because they can't keep it together. Uh, Holding your composure and really needing more from your goalkeeper, that might be the problem or maybe the problem is for all your midfield players, your interior midfield is weak. I don't know. They weren't playing a team that they couldn't out-dribble, out-pace, out-muscle. But they just never got full control of the game. And I guess that's just a, a due to lack of quality on both sides. But a very entertaining 1-1 draw. Then you got great Grenada over Mallorca. Once again, Mallorca, they're probably going down. They're probably going down. Another match in which they step up to another mid-table side that they should be able to best. And they give them the exact same game and lose. Maybe it was the penalty in the 70th. Maybe it was the fact that they couldn't get really started and despite five shots on target, the two that looked close are the two that went in. Mallorca's going down. I'm just going to... Mallorca's going down. Grenada wasn't that much better than them, but Mallorca's going down. Sevilla in the mud. Sevilla is in the mud. After manhandling, and I'm going to say this one more time, man. Handling. Granola. It, they got nothing to show for it. You know, they're off sides a lot. They're better with the fouls. Pass accuracy, amazing. Uh, possession was kind of even. But when you have 21 shots and only four or more on target, you deserve to take an L. You you deserve to take an L. That's, that's just where I'm at with it. When your center back has been your best player since the Europa League final, you have a problem here. I have 
no faith in this back line. You sold your best back line players. Uh, you're putting a lot of faith in that Adrian Rakitic. You have no pace in the attacking midfield. Uh, Suso needs some end product. Ocampos is that dude, but he loses his head too often. And this, uh, this Rola team, I, I know they're a product of the City Group, but man, they're just they just need to be well put together. They they got some guys who can hit the back of the net. They got some former Manchester Manchester City pro- products in their team, and they're giving dividends. You, you can't be mad at that, man. When you when you're touched by the oil gods, you know that's just what happens. Then we got the big game lock of the week: Villarreal three, Barcelona four, and Le Mau Le Mau Le Wow. Four goals, three goal involvements from a sixteen-year-old. Second assist, one direct assist, one indirect assist. It, his his tenacity, his spirit, his pace, his technical ability. He gave me some of that messy wow factor that the need that the team needs. Is he messy? No. Is he what Ansu Fadi was when he first hit? No. But is he that spark that this team absolutely needs? Yes. Taking the pressure off of Gavi. There's no Pedri taking the pressure off of the midfield, making you forget about the frailties in the back line, making you forget that there's a Sergio Roberto and a Marcus Alonso back there. Because there were mistakes, and there were mistakes that Solaroff and Gerald Moreno absolutely feasted on. And I mean, they feasted. I think a Solaroff is somebody who is slow, but the way he got right in between Marcus Alonso and I believe that was Christensen. It just oh, feel the feel the. Luckily, Barca walks away with a win. I got into the details of the goals in my big game instant reaction, so I'm not gonna overdo it here. I'm just gonna say that a 16 year old absolutely bossed that game. The closest energy to him was a 30 year old on the way out. So. Youth and experience what an advertisement for La Liga. What an advertisement for La Liga. Osasuna over Valencia. Valencia. Oh guys. 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 Once again, when teams control every aspect of the game and let it go in the 90th plus minute. What is happening this season? I hope this clears up because let's go over how dominant Valencia was in this game for a second. 16 shots, four on target, 65% possession, 83% pass accuracy versus 67. Six corners, 13 fouls, but only three yellow cards. Literally, watch the game. You will see flows where also sooner you just wiped them off the map in like the first 15 or the first 20. But after that, nothing but control from Valencia 
Toulouse. Toulouse. Come on, guys. You're giving away penalties. You're letting in goals 90 plus 5. To a team who needed the dub. I mean, they needed three points way more than you, but Valencia. What a discipline. So solid. Flexing that 4-4-2. Flexing it. Big goalkeeper, but, you know, what are you going to do? Got to have that cojones. Upset of the week. Athletic club over Real Betis. The same Real Betis that held Athletic quiet. Got absolutely annihilated. Giving away unnecessary pans left and right. Getting hit in plus time by an inexperienced attacking midfielder. I mean, just, I, they got lit up. And not even by the big boys. Not even by the big boys. Oh, what a game. What a game. Um, I, You know, getting lit up by center backs and midfielders and inexperienced players up front just and don't get me wrong real Batiste did what everybody does they went to sleep with a two goal lead you never go to sleep with a two goal lead when you go to sleep with a two goal lead you get slapped up you get slapped up hard because at no point did they truly lose control of the game but they lost all that hunger and desire necessary to hold down a team who's only job is to act like junk dogs who I mean junkyard dogs that don't get to eat for a week and just be rabid and attack and have a bunch of tenacity because they've got nothing they got the Williams brothers and tenacity <sighs> but <laughs> Robotis felt every second of it and now <laughs> athletic club bow is a, above them in the table it's just I, I can't get this little league season down a Getafe over Alves once again. Not going to talk about ones I didn't really watch. Shout out to Getafe for the win. And Atletico Madrid over Real Velicano, who is absolutely going down. 7-0. Goals by Griezmann in the second. Depay in the 16th. Molina in the 32nd. Morata, 73rd. Correa, 79th. Morata again in the 84th. Lorente in the 86th. 17 shots. 10 on goal. Did not dominate possession. Had worse pass accuracy. Only had three corners. Child's play. Once again, they played like a wet garbage bag. But <laughs> Velicano just couldn't figure it out. It's like, you're going to give me the ball? I'm going to run forward towards you. You're going to give me the ball? I'm going to try to score. Oh, you keep scoring? We, we can't just give up now. God, Jesus Christ. Trying to a buzzsaw over and over again, doing the same thing. This is what encourages him to play like this. When you give Diego Simeone these kind of results, you're going to get dysfunctional, defensive, ultra counterattack specialist type play. None of that even made sense. But that's how tired I am of this defensive, 
four midfielders. None of them are wingers. Super wing back. I'm going to fly and smack you in the face with four guys. And then we're all going to sit back eight deep. And then I'm going to send four guys at you. Then we're going to sit back eight deep. Just... Can't be mad at him when he beats a team 7-0. And that, folks, was your La Liga Week 3 review. All right, we're back, and we're talking Premier League Game Week 3. And unfortunately, Premier League punching bags, Luton gets slapped up by Chelsea. Chelsea 3, Luton Town nil. It was the Raheem Sterling show. He's on an amazing comeback tour. Despite Chelsea's low point total at the moment, Raheem Sterling is on a warpath to prove his utility once again. Two goals from him and an assist to Nico Jackson. And I'm really excited about the Raheem Sterling show. I hope it continues, but unfortunately, this means nothing because they were just pushing up on Luton Town. They have the heart, but they don't have the formation or the players to keep up with Premier League opposition. Uh, only, 31%, only 31% possession for Luton Town, 11 shots, only one on target, only 78% pass accuracy, only four corners, but three yellow cards. And Chelsea, on the other hand, 19 shots, eight on target, 68% possession, 92% pass accuracy, 15 fouls, but only two yellow cards and six corners. It, If you saw it, it wasn't a match. If you looked at the numbers, it wasn't a match. If you looked at the if you looked at what somebody wrote about it, it wasn't a match. There is no way we can get a complexion of this game where it shades toward it being a match, where it actually being competitive. Um, Chelsea aren't in third gear. They're nowhere near fourth gear. They're somewhere around switching in between first and second gear as a team. And as the season goes on, I'm very excited to see what they can do. But in terms of giving you more about this game, it, it wasn't anything there. Utter domination by Chelsea over top of a team that they should absolutely dominate. Tottenham 2, Bournemouth nil. At some point you thought Bournemouth was going to get in the game, but it's something about Tottenham right now. Really silky passing led to a Madison goal in the 17th. Really silky passing and a wonder save by Yadogi to keep the ball in somehow. And Kulisevsky scores. It's just immaculate team play all over the place. Them not having Rich Arlison obviously isn't a problem. And even though Bournemouth is loading up on talent, it's not quite there yet. I love what they're doing with Semenyo, Cliver, what they've done with Billingsley now by moving him forward, Max Ahrens, Neto. Kurt Gess, I mean, they got great players all over the pitch, but they didn't match up well at all. A team that doesn't need Rich Allison at all just absolutely dominated every other part of the pitch. 
Pedro Perro, Destiny U Doggy. Oh my. They got filthy. Hungman Son, he showed up, but he didn't have a great game in my opinion. Basuma, Boston Midfield again. Pepe Marisa, man, I think he's taking a job from Skip. I don't know if Skip gets to play anymore. Uh, Ange Postacoglu, just mwah, mwah, chef's kiss. Absolute chef's kiss. They dominated Bournemouth all over the field, so much so. It's no point in me even getting into the stats. You could get the stats if it makes you want to feel better. All I saw was maybe once or twice Dominic Solanke getting in front of the goal and absolutely what folks would call fluffing his lines. I mean, just fluffing those lines in the kind of way that just makes you want more for Bournemouth. They're going to need Tyler Adams in there and Tyler Adams in there ASAP. They're going to have to solidify that midfield some just, just a little bit. Uh, next, a London derby that, I mean, a London derby, folks. We had Brentford versus Crystal Palace, and Crystal Palace was doing something to Brentford that I hadn't seen before, which was Brentford playing scared. They dominated the ball, but it's because Crystal Palace let them have it, and... Brentford normally thrives on that by thrashing this lower team, but they couldn't do anything with an incomplete Crystal Palace, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of Jeffrey Slup playing so much. I think it's time to get Jordan Ayu up out of there. Edward isn't doing it for me. They could have sold to Corey, for my opinion. Tyreek Mitchell, not feeling it. Jaward. Thank God they got Dean Henderson in from United because Sam Johnstone. You know, Roy Hodgson is, is is working a miracle with this team, and they've handled Brentford the best all season so far. Brentford had an off game. I think they really. I think they didn't match the intensity of a Crystal Palace in which they should have just ran all over. Um, I guess sometimes you play the opponent, and uh, that's what it looked like. It looked like Brentford played the opponent. They got an early goal, said uh, this might be over, and then proceeded to not get another shot on target. Arsenal 2, Fulham 2. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that. Arsenal, they didn't deserve that. Man, it... Pereira goal and the first minute. Fulham go on stopwatch from there. They're just counting time, just sitting back, counting time. Arsenal has the ball. And let's go through this Arsenal stat line because it's important. 19 shots. 11 on target, 72% possession, 680 passes, 90% pass accuracy, only six fouls, four offsides, eight corners. Now let's talk about what Fulham did. Eight shots, three on target, 28% 28 possession, 274 passes, only 71% of them were accurate. Five fouls, four yellow cards, one red, one offsides, 
three corners. Arsenal absolutely wiped them off the map. But what they did was they took too long to score. They absolutely took too long to score. Eddie and Kedia was absolutely too vital to this team once again. And they could have tightened up, especially when they got Fulham down to 10 men. They'd already had control of the game. Calvin Bassey had lost his head. He didn't know what to do. He was getting utterly manhandled all over the place. He tried to manhandle somebody back, got removed from the field of play. And in the 87th, they let the big boy, Jao Polina, run through three men, exploit zonal marking, and smack that thing in the goal. <laughs> Who couldn't see that? Who couldn't see that? Arsenal. They couldn't see that. Ooh, man. That was a rough one right there, man. That that was a shocker, but not as big of a shocker as United 3, Nottingham Forest 2. Nottingham Forest gave up the plot. Once again, the deadly secret. Do not go to sleep after going two goals up. Either keep thrashing that team or come up with a game plan to hold on to the ball. Nottingham Forest didn't either. They tried to pull a smash and grab in four minutes and proceeded to get undone by one Marcus Rashford. Direct assist to Erickson. Pre-assist to Casemiro through Bruno Fernandez. And he gets fouled in the penalty box to get Bruno Fernandez, you know, Fernandez to get it in. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's how hard it hits me. I get choked up. I get choked up by that baby back. Oh, oh man. Nottingham Forest really gave it up. And the stats say it all. Manchester United, 18 shots, nine on target, 67% possession. 86% pass accuracy, 11 corners. Nottingham Forest, 9 shots, 4 on target, 33% possession, 72% pass accuracy, 3 corners. They absolutely gave it up. And I mean, the worst kind of just give up job. The kind of give up job where... You don't have to foul the last man in a scoring opportunity. Jesus Christ. Just, just so many bad team decisions. They just didn't want to hold on. And United with the superior talent eventually overtook them. And Marcus Rashford, who just got just harassed in the media, on social media, by fans by YouTubers, by pundits alike, once again shows up in a big moment and doesn't get credit for it. It's just what he's supposed to do. It's absolutely incredible. Moving on to a game where I said nobody would score, and I meant nobody would score. Wolves get the goal in the 87th from the big man, Kaladovic. You know, he got held in the United game, and I see why, because when you don't hold this man... He gets the ball and the goal in the 87th minute in a game that was otherwise just 
Oh, not worth watching. Wolves get the dub. In the upset of the week in the prim, West Ham absolutely slaps up Brighton. And I mean, you just didn't see it coming. There, there's no way you saw it coming because Brighton dominated the shots, the shots on target, the possession, the corners. It was just, it was one-way traffic from Brighton and they got nothing but slapped up by West Ham. West Ham are in incredible form after slapping up Chelsea. It was nothing you could do. Oh, man, just... Oh, James Ward Price. James Ward Prowse is on absolute smoke, getting another goal. Oh, Gerard Bowen is filling himself. Mikel Antonio is not ready to retire. Just oh man, no transfers, no problem. <sighs> God, Jesus, people don't respect James Ward Prowse, but he... somehow while doing very little midfield work. He does exactly what needs to be done to keep a team that is progressing, moving forward consistently. We got Man City 2, Sheffield United 1, and Sheffield United tried to make it a game, and it clearly, <clears throat> it clearly wasn't one. It was definitely... One-sided. It took a long time for Man City to warm up pretty much all the first half. But playing Sheffield United, it wasn't any competition. Erlen Holland gets another goal. And Rondri, who now sees himself as a goal scorer, is untouchable. The team is unbalanced. But what can you say when they've had 30 shots, 9 on target, 80% possession, 92% pass accuracy, and 12 corners? You can say absolutely nothing. Especially when they want to trouble. Sheffield United, another punching bag, so don't want to talk about it. Same thing for Burnley. Aston Villa is on a revenge tour of just slapping people around. This time, Matty Cash, right back, is lighting them up with overlaps. And Diaby is just, what a, what a signing. What a class signing. Uh, Burnley played good football, but good, good football was no match for Emery's men. They let them have the ball, and they absolutely played with them. They they toyed with them. When they got running, Burnley couldn't keep up. The defense just isn't where uh, the progressive forward play is. And they're probably going to go down if they don't steady up soon. And then the big game match of the week. The still of the week. This is how you do a smash and grab. This is how you do a smash and grab. Newcastle 1, Liverpool 2, Super Darwin Nunes, two goals, 81st, 90th plus, after Van Dyke absolutely obliterates Isaac. Newcastle all over them. Newcastle dominant on possession, pass accuracy, corners. Newcastle is all over them. But what they did not have is clinical edge. They took advantage of a Trent mistake, but it was not enough. It was not enough to solidify the game. And with 
a center back going down, Dan Byrne going to the middle, them getting exploited in that in-between space. I am worried about what Newcastle is going to do in the future with their center back position because they were absolutely exploited by the second coming of Luis Suarez, Darwin Nunes. Gosh, that was a game. And if you want a more in-depth explanation on that game and that game alone, you can go check out my big game instant reaction for Liverpool v. Newcastle. Whew, that was your week three Premier League review. And we're back and you know we're talking game week two. So you know it's got to be Syria. So you know we're starting at the top. And the top was an upset. Caught your boy off guard. Frozione over Atlanta. 2-2-1. Two, two, and when you get caught early, sometimes there's no comeback. For Atlanta to absolutely dominate the rest of the game after two early goals from Frozione in the 5th and the 24th, an attacking midfielder and then a center back getting off early on Atalanta and they had basically nothing after that. Atalanta had 18 shots, 6 on target, 64% possession, 83% pass accuracy, and 7 corners. And all they got in exchange for that was a Duzan Zabata goal in the 56th minute. Absolutely, if you watch the game, would say, oh, once Atalanta got a foothold in the game, they were just a final pass away. They were just a mistake away. They were just a strong defensive stand away. Sometimes it's not enough. Wake up, strike early, stay focused often. Do not play down to your competition because these people want to stay in the city all and they are playing hard. So big applause to Frozione absolutely handling Atalanta because Atalanta didn't get a foothold in the game when they should have. And they got exploited by a team who just simply wanted it more. And sometimes that's absolutely what it's about. Who wants it more? Like Monza over Empoli, two to nil, inside of the half, outside when they start up the second half, and they pretty much shut the game down from there. A pretty much even match. Both of them shots galore, offensive, open football, or we can just say a lack of defense for the sake of conversation. Equal possession, equal pass accuracy, way more tenacity from Monza. And that's where it counts. Corners pretty much equal. Yellow cards equal. Offsides equal. But Monza, first to the tackle, first to the rebound, first to take advantage of an Empoli mistake. And that combined with amazing goalkeeper play. De Giorgio. De Giorgio is almost as important as Capalotti. What a game, what a game, what a game. Man, offensive football from Monza. They're trying to stay up. They're trying to get steady. They're trying to get more money into their team, and I can respect it. And we're going to go forward to this. Uncle Mo, big Jose Mourinho. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, Duda, 
Duda is a problem. He was a problem in the Bundesliga. He's going to be a problem in Serie A. He's just a problem. He shows up in all the right places, doing all the wrong things, and setting your team up for failure. So when you start off on the back foot so early, that's one thing. But to concede another one before half and pretty much lose control of the game, too much depend, too much dependence on the player that he designates as the attacking midfielder in his midfield three. He had the same issue with Lozano. He had the same issue with Pellegrini. He's having the same issue with Amard. It's, you gotta let, I'm sorry, Zaniolo. You gotta let them play and you can't, you, you can't turn them into Mesut Orzel. These guys are not Mesut Orzel. It, it just, we're gonna have to work on it. We're gonna have to work on it. These wingbacks, they're young. We're going to have to work on it, Jose, because it's not looking good. It's its not looking good. You just, you absolutely just, okay, 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 okay. So, 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 so let's go over why it doesn't look good. This is what Roma did and somehow still lost this game. 23 shots on target. Mm, I'm sorry, 23 shots, 7 on target, 72% possession, 86% pass accuracy. 12 corners, and they lost the game to a team that had five shots, three on target, only 28% possession, 65% pass accuracy in one corner. And then you bring in Lukaku, like, oh, man, that's just, okay, I got to move forward from there. Milan, 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 Milan. New Look AC is putting it on people. And they're putting it on them hard. Milan over Torino. And Torino was in the match. But AC Milan is not having it. Christian Pulisic is back. Captain America's back. And he's in full flex. Stop giving easy goals to Giroud. Giroud is stat padding and I think the goal leader for Serie A right now. Teo Hernandez is in full form and when Leal joins him, the rest of the Serie A is going to get caught in a trick bag. Mike Mignon is back. Oh man, you're not ready. You're not ready for what AC Milan is cooking up. Juventus won, Bologna won. I don't want to talk about that. Florentina, Lecce. Shout out to Lecce. Shout out to Lecce for standing up in the second half. I keep telling you folks about that tricky 2-0 scoreline. When you're up to, don't let it go. Don't let the dog show up. Because the dog showed up in the second half for Lecce. And um, Florentina kept control but not in the right moments. Shout out to Leche for standing strong and coming back in the second half. That's how you do it. <sighs> Genoa over Lazio. Lazio is in disarray. They need a bag man ASAP. No bag man. All problems. Napoli over Sassuolo. <sighs> Napoli is here. And they're not going anywhere. 
25 shots, 5 on target, 67% possession, 90% pass accuracy, 12 corners. Sassuolo. They, they left them with 33% possession. Now, yes, this team has been gutted. They sell, 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 sell. But midfield just absolutely just obliteration is the word. Domination is the word. I know that they're selling and falling apart, and the team isn't what it used to be. But Tassuolo just, woo, 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 yikes. That's Alimentana, Udinese, 1-1. I didn't catch that one. But what I did enjoy was that Napoli, I'm sorry, that Inter over Calgary. See, that Napoli beat down on Sassuolo was so hard. still on my mind. But Doro Martinez, man, people keep putting dirt on this man's name, but he's unstoppable in the Serie A. You give him a lower-end Serie A side, and he will absolutely dominate them. Inter wants the Scudetto. Inter is not doing enough. Inter doesn't look sharp, but Inter is getting easy wins when they're supposed to. And, man, if they can keep getting it this easy, oh, what a Serie A. Ooh, what a serial this will be if they keep getting it this easy. We're jumping in to the Bundesliga. And they had a opener for the weekend. RB Leipzig. Five. Stuttgart. One. And Stuttgart opened it up like they were going to attempt to hurt Leipzig, and Leipzig came back in the second half and dropped five on them. And the game was never in Stuttgart's hands. The game was never in Stuttgart's hands. It, it was a little bit of a even ebb and flow in the first half. But in the end, in the end, Leipzig, oh, man, it looked like the German Super Cup all over again. And you know me, I have to talk about Hendricks. Almo, Openda, Kampel, Simons. Any way you want it, they will serve it up to you. You might get sliced and diced. And Nobu is going to be on the floor. All over the floor. Like, I had such high hopes for this Stuttgart team. I, but it's not there. The back line isn't there. Uh, Zagadu's not going to do it. Noble's not the goalkeeper that I thought he was. Uh, Gilnassi? That's a player right there. But when you get lit up by the entire left side of Leipzig, and they didn't have a good game. It was a bad Leipzig game. Stuttgart's in trouble. Stuttgart's in trouble. And Noble, I see why you're not back in Munich. That, that's, sometimes you see. You see when they're buying a guy from Israel and you're like, why would you go all the way to the Israeli league instead of getting a German? That, that's, I saw that. I saw that. Hoffenheim over at Hiddenheim. Uh, Heidenheim, they tried. But they gave up a 90-minute penalty and Kramerich put it in. And that was the game because it was... 
oh, it was a display of counterattacking at its finest. They could not. <laughs> they're not good enough to sustain the wave of top 10 Bundesliga teams. But Hoffenheim is so weak in the back and so prone to getting absolutely ran through in the midfield that they stood a chance and coughed it up. They coughed it up to the better team, and that's what happens when you give up 63% possession to a Hoffenheim team that just is leaps and bounds better than you. But good play to Heidenheim because that's what you do. You don't give it up. You don't cough it up. You're competitive in every match, and you might just stay up, or you might stay up by winning the playoff match, and I can respect it. Wolfsburg 2 over Colin. Honus win. Honus win. And former Wolfsburg, Waldenschmidt, those are your guys getting goals. Waldenschmidt scores win in the 62nd and seven, 10 minutes apart, two goals, takes the game over. This one was pretty much even. It wasn't enough action on target for you to think, oh, this is going to be a high-scoring one. But you just knew, you, you just knew that you were going to get a good one out of, out of this game. And um, Honus win shows up big time, 10 minutes apart. And that's the separation in the game right there. They score once, you score twice. Wolfberg walks away with the dub. <sighs> shock of the season. And can it be a shock if it happens twice? Union Berlin down to 10 men. Absolutely dog walks. Darmenstadt. Golson in the fourth, the 34th. 32-year-old Benerin, 39th. And they get another one from Doki. And the 65th, Brendan Aronson absolutely not making a name for himself in Germany, getting a red card in the 21st. Union Berlin. I'm going to say it one more time. Union Berlin. Absolutely just at no point did they have control. It was just counterattack at its finest, you know. That's what happens when you lose somebody 20 minutes into the match and they still slap them up. Oh, man. That, 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 that's also team football at its finest. Detro Fofana is looking way better than I thought he would. Crawl better than I thought he would. Jerkovic better than I thought he would. A notch lately. Like, like people who didn't look good and, and like... Lady leaving Porto and, and, and Portugal, I'm not thinking high. Robin Nock tried his hand in the Premier League. He's, he's back in Germany. Uh, Finro has been trying to... Oh, th these are players who have been around and not made a name for themselves. And at Union Berlin are slapping people around. Not controlling the stat line, but controlling every match. So excited about Union Berlin. Um, disappointment this week, <sighs> Dortmund. I told you it was going to be the Malin show, but ooh-wee. I just want to know, did my man take all the juice with him? That's my only question. I have to know, did you, Bellingham, take all the Dortmund juice with him? Because they are stinky this season. Stinky. Stanky. 
Freiburg over Water Bremen. Water Bremen, not good enough. Freiburg steals it in a ninety plus six, but it it was it was an open Bundesliga game when Freiburg just always looked better than Water Bremen. Possession might have been even, pass accuracy might have been even, but they were getting blue out of the park in the offensive third, and I'm pretty sure the stats will back me up. Yep, I'm right on that one. 23 shots for Freiburg, 7 on target, 15 for Werder Bremen, only 2 on target. They absolutely, once again, they come up to play, but not to show, and <laughs> not to show when it matters, and they get blown off the pitch again. Um, We've got Leverkusen 3 over Mucin Gladbach. Mucin Gladbach have an incredible young striker who they're not servicing. Their coach is switching formation, but doesn't have the players for it. More center backs are not the problem. They don't have the midfield. Kone is surely missed. Kone is not going to solve it. Um, Their players are aging. They can do nothing about it. They sold Hoffman. That was not a good decision. Plie is done. His legs are done without the pace and power. Put that man to pasture. Just, ooh, Mucin back. Top half, not looking good. Top half, not looking good. Leverkusen. Leverkusen looking right. Leverkusen might smack Bayern around this year. Um, I can't say enough for their back line. Jonathan taps over with his mind focused on the team. Granit Xhaka looking like an absolute all-star. Absolute all-star. Controlling the play. Passing it around at will. Frimpong, unstoppable. And Victor Boniface. Remember the name. Superstar in the making. Superstar in the making. What will Eintracht Frankfurt do without Kolumane? I'm worried about these guys. I am worried about these guys. We, when so much of your team plays around Kolumane, and he has now gone to PSG, whoo, man, they are in trouble. They are in trouble like I've never seen it. Mine's one I track Frankfurt one, uh, a Mainz dominated game when Mainz didn't have enough of the ball. Uh, you see, it was a counter attack style, but you know they just couldn't get a foothold in the game. They didn't quite have the quality to match up with Eintracht Frankfurt yet. They should have swallowed them whole. Um, Eintracht Frankfurt like a team in disarray. Mark, Marco Gutze isn't. He's like, it's a real up and down. Sometimes he looks good. Sometimes he looks bad. Um, their midfield is solid. Backline is okay. Kevin Trapp is Kevin Trapp, but Kolumani is a big focus in which their attacking midfielders slash inverted forwards play off of, and he's gone, and I'm devastatingly worried about this team. Devastatingly worried about this team and what they can produce in terms of a top-end performance. Uh, Bayern over Augsburg. Augsburg weren't ready to play, and Harry Kane has completely transformed this team. Completely transformed this team. Are they now as dangerous as they were in the Lewandowski days? No. Is the wing play or inverted play magically solved? No. Do they have a goalkeeper they can believe in? No. Have they decided on what their strongest center back pairing is? No. Has Alfonso Davies stopped being a defensive liability? No. Do they love the midfield pairing of Goretzka and Kimmich? No. K 
Can he figure out what he wants to do with with his midfield? Absolutely not. Does he believe in Leroy Sonny? I don't feel it. Serge Gnabry, don't feel it. Kingsley Coleman, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Gravin Birch is gone. Musiala out with a hamstring injury. Osberg's just not a problem. That's the real problem. Osberg's got nothing up front. I love Barisha. I loved him everywhere he's played. I love Vargas. I want him to develop more. Oh, Dorsch. Oh, man. He might be a... Uh, Dorsch might be a talent. Well, when you got Ingles, Peterson, Bauer, your dope guy with the own goal... They can move forward, but they can't move backwards. And if they can't control the ball or play, essentially, if they're not playing the team that they can be dominant enough to apply, they're counter-pressed to and be on the front foot. Osberg is going to struggle. It's like Leipzig Jr. when they need to be... Uh, they need to be Dortmund Jr. Like, they need to... Solidify this defense. They they need to stack this midfield. But I guess they're hoping to score. But God, just ugh. Bayern's good. But these first two games are not an indication of what Bayern can offer. Because they have not played a team that has the, the attack, the midfield. Hell, the back line to create consistent pressure to show me if... What happens when Bayern don't get to be on the front foot for the entire match? Um, yeah, man, just Osberg, man, put me in a really bad vibe. Dortmund, Harry Kane, amazing. Harry Kane is everywhere. Don't feed him no pens. Um, he's absolutely going to dominate in this league. On his back alone, I'm very confident in what they can do in the Champions League. They are going to absolutely destroy United and. It's going to be a two-horse race between them and Leverkusen, and I can't be any more excited to see that matchup. I know that matchup is coming soon. Uh, that was your Bundesliga Week 2 review in the books. Big game locks. So you already know what time it is. It's time for preview and predictions, and we're starting with Premier League Game week four. Everybody knows the big game of the week. It's Arsenal v Man United. And I'm going to keep it short and simple. I've not seen enough from Man United. Amrabat's not in yet. He hasn't had time to practice with the team. I believe he's still in Italy. Varane is not in good shape. Marcus Rashford is 75% of this team. And if Hojlin doesn't start, I have no faith in Anthony Martial. Uh... They keep putting Sancho on the selling block. I don't think that's good for his confidence or his team play. And Arsenal is purring like a finely tuned German sports car. All they need is their striker up front. And with the disappointment of tying with Fulham last week, I'm 100% sure they are going to slap up United. I'm saying Arsenal 3, United 1. For the rest of the Premier League week, I have West Ham over Luton, 1-0. Sheffield United versus Everton. Sheffield United, 1-0. Man City over Fulham, 3-1. to 
Chelsea over Nottingham Forest, two to one. Tottenham over Burnley, two to nil. We have Bournemouth and Brentford. I need that as a one-one tie. We have Brighton v Newcastle. Newcastle turn it around and they get a two-one win over Brighton. Crystal Palace over Wolves, one nil. Liverpool over Aston Villa, four two. And those are my predictions for the Premier League game week four. And once again, my big game lock is Arsenal over Manchester United, three to one. Lock it up. All right, so we're going right into La Liga. You know what it is. It's game week four, and I'm coming with those big game locks. So I'm going to start with the big one, and that is Sevilla versus Atletico Madrid. I'm going with Atletico to take the win 2-0. So let's go through the rest of the La Liga slate. We got Caldez versus Villarreal. After Villarreal's performance last week, I'm going to give it to Villarreal, 2-0. We got Celta Vigo versus Almeria. I'm going to give that to Celta Vigo, uh, 1-0. We got Real Sociedad versus Grenada. I'm going to give that to Sociedad, 1-0. Real Madrid versus Catafe. I'm going to give Real Madrid a loss and give that one to Catafe, 2-1. Valencia versus Alves. I'm going to give that one to Alves, 1-0. We got Real Petit versus Valacano. Petit is going to rebound. That's 3-0. Dorona versus Las Palmas. I'm going to give that a 2-2 tie. Mallorca versus Athletic Club. I'm going to give that to Athletic Club. Bilbao, 2-1. Uh, we have Osasuna versus Barcelona. And I'm going to give that one to Barcelona. Barcelona stay undefeated with a 3-1 win here. And we're going to get back to my big game lock. That is Athletic v Sevilla and once again I'm gonna give that one to Athleti two nil. I would love to elaborate about how Diego Simeone's men are gonna line up and Lorente might dominate the game or a vintage performance from Coke or you can't stop Memphis Depay or Antoine Griezmann is on fire or no more Jao Felix no problem or talk about how Jan Oblak is gonna lock it up None of that's relevant. Sevilla is a team in disarray when it comes to forward momentum. If they can't get a violent cross into the box, they're not going to score. And all Athleti likes to do is sit in the box and defend and fight a corner and shoot out for a staggering counterattack, which just... Unless tactically Sevilla comes to play with something completely different, if it's right into Atletico's plans. And when somebody falls into Diego Simeone's trap, his boys attack because they're just looking for a chance to get near goal. And if you're going to give them an opportunity to score, they will dominate you. Normally, if you give them the ball and tell them, flow through me. They don't get the open chances that they need. They normally get stuck on what seems like them not practicing how to break down a low block while being low block monsters themselves. But if you're going to run at them 
and cross the ball as your main means of attack, they're going to dominate you. They're going to dominate you bad. And that's why I'm going to Athleti over Sevilla to to nil. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. All right. We're talking Bundesliga, game week three, and I'm still on these big game locks, of course. So we're talking Union Berlin versus RB Leipzig, and I'm going to have to give it to RB Leipzig, three to two over Union Berlin. I know, I know, I know. I've been talking about how red hot and on fire Union Berlin has been so far, but it's early in the season, and they have not come up against anything as offensively devastating as RB Leipzig. If you let them get started, they will not stop and they will run through you. So I'm calling a big game for Danny Elmo, a big game for Luis Openda, and they are going to work through a Union Berlin team that has a steadfast midfield. But back line has not seen the pressure that they will be forced to deal with when RP Leipzig comes to town. All right, let's go through the rest of the Bundesliga slate here. We've got Dortmund versus Hiddenheim. I'm going to give that to Dortmund, 3 to nil. Osberg versus Balkum. I'm going to give it to Osberg, 1 nil. Leverkusen versus Darmstadt. I'm going to. Four to two, Hoffenheim versus Wolfburg, Wolfburg one nil, Werder Bremen versus Mainz. I'm gonna give it a tie at two two. Stuttgart versus Freiburg. I'm gonna give that to Freiburg one nil. Um, and then we have Mushin Gladbach versus Bayern, and that's gonna be a bloodbath to Bayern. So we we'll call that a four nil. We've got Cologne versus Eintracht Frankfurt. I trick Frankfurt with no Colomani. I'm giving that to Cologne 1-0. And then once again, I told you it's going to be an extravaganza. It's a big one here. Union Berlin versus RB Leipzig. And I'm giving that one to Leipzig 3-2 over Union Berlin. Lock it up. And that is your Bundesliga slate. All right, folks. Last but nowhere near least, the creme de la creme, the high steppers, the high flyers. We're going to Syria and we're talking big game locks. So I got to start with the game. Milan versus Roma. Can Uncle Mo do something? I think not. Jose is going to get embarrassed. And this might be the start of the end as Roma will go down the table and AC Milan will go up the table and Jose may lose his job. So I'm going to go 3-0 Milan over Roma in the capital. All right, let's get to the rest of the Serie A slate. We got Sassuolo versus Verona. Verona in good shape. Will Sassuolo bounce back as the as the transfer window closes and we get more stability in the Sassuolo team, I'm going to go for a tie and say we're going to get a one-all draw. 
We got Udinese versus Frodizono. Uh I'm going to go with Udinese. We're going to give that a 1 to nil. Udinese over Frozone. Uh, we got Bologna over, uh, versus Caligari. I'm going to give that as a draw, as a nil-nil tie. Uh, we have Napoli versus Lazio. Second big game lock. I'm going Napoli over Lazio. Lazio doesn't, doesn't have it together this season. Napoli is on fire. I'm going 3-0 to Napoli. Atlanta versus Monza. I'm going to give that a one-all draw. Torino versus Genoa. I'm going to give that one to Torino. 2-0. We have Inter versus Florentina. Big game lock. Number trace, baby. We're going three deep. <laughs> Two in the pink, one in the stink, y'all. Um, we got Enter versus Florentina, and I'm going also Enter over Florentina. Two to one. We have Impley versus Juve. I got Juve bouncing back. Two nil. And finally, we have Lecce versus Santa Matana. I'm gonna give that a two all draw. That is my series. Uh, preview for the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're far too kind. Once again, folks, I'd like to thank you all for listening. You're all wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. And thank you for your love of the beautiful game. But once again, I'd like to remind you to please rate this five stars, leave a comment, share with your friends, and on all your socials, but most importantly, support your grassroots. And that means coach a local team, mentor some kids, donate to the local high school. It's important to preserve the grassroots game and give everybody a chance to enjoy the beautiful game at its fullest extent. So thank you for listening. Once again, rate us five stars. Leave a comment, share on your socials, share with your friends, and support the game on a grassroots level. And as always, we're going to end it off with a question. And the question for this week is, is Adsu Fati, Barcelona winger, with a, te- a devastating, devastating injury record, is his move to Brighton on a one-year loan Good for his career. Yes or no? Reply to me on x.com at F-U-C-K-F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S. Once again, reply to me on x at F-U-C-K-Francois. And the question once again is, is Ansu Fatty's move to Brighton a good one? Yes or no? And folks, good night.